Hi, I'm Tori Mystic, and you're listening to the Wear, Wag, Repeat podcast, the only show dedicated to supporting women in all areas of the pet industry. I am so excited to wrap up 2022 and hit a major milestone of 250 episodes of this podcast. When I came up with the idea for this show in the summer of 2017, I had no idea that I would be doing it five years later, let alone that I would have made Wear Wag repeat my full-time job. It's amazing to me how many friendships and connections I have made because of this show. Uh, I also have learned so much about dogs, business, and the power of community. If you have been a guest or a listener, I want to thank you so much for making this possible. For episode number 250, I wanted to do something special, and my wonderful podcast producer had the idea to do a recap episode with some of my favorite moments from the past 250 episodes. What a great idea, right? Except it was really freaking hard to narrow it down to the five clips that I had time to include today from 250 episodes. So one way I narrowed it down was to focus just on interviews. So today you will not be hearing any clips from any of my solo episodes. So I narrowed it down to 16 of my favorite interviews. And somehow through a process of elimination, I was able to find five to share with you here today. Now, I am not going to promise that these are the best or my favorite because I learned something from literally every single person, every woman that I talked to on this show. But these are five of five of my favorites or five memorable moments, five celebrations of this podcast. Uh, and I'm really excited for you to hear it. I think it's a really great way to look back and also to look forward. You're going to be really inspired by every clip that I chose for you here today. Before I play some of my favorite moments, I want to thank Pet Pocketbook for sponsoring the podcast this month. I can't think of a better way to celebrate 250 episodes than by partnering with a female-founded software that serves dog walkers and pet sitters. According to Pet Sitters International's 2022 State of the Industry Survey, 91% of pet sitting business owners are women. If that is you, check out Pet Pocketbook, an all-in-one software to run your business on the go. Find the link in the show notes or go to PetPocketbook.com. The first episode I want to share with you in this recap is the most downloaded episode ever. I talked to Julie Swan on episode 184 about pricing psychology and what she noticed when she changed her pricing in her dog breeding program. Her advice applies to all kinds of pet businesses, including pet sitters, trainers, makers, and influencers. Since doing this interview, I have been able to collaborate with Julie on a few other things. And that just goes to show that this show is more than just interviews. It is a jumping off point for collaborations, friendships, and more in the pet industry. Here is the clip from episode 184. You have a really great podcast episode that I was like, 
hooked on about pricing and how your pricing can really attract the right customers or the wrong customers um, and sort of um, the perceived value in, in certain things. And I know it, it, it can be kind of a touchy and emotional topic to talk about pricing dogs because they're living things. Um, but, but you broke it down in a really great way. And it, I'll just let you kind of take the sure. mic um, sure. and, and talk about it a little bit, because I thought this applied to everyone in every pet niche, not just breeders, but I just love how you described it. Thanks. Thanks. Sure. So I would say, you know, to put people's mind at ease, the reason we charge for puppies one is because yes, they cost money and they take time and I want to be there to support them. And I need financial ability to do that. But more importantly, if people don't pay for something, they don't value it. And at the very core, that is why you price puppies. Um, having that said, the price you put puppies at is going to attract wildly different customers. And again, this goes with any product. The pricing is going to be very, very influential on who you're attracting because you have those people that, you know, maybe they say they want a German shorter and they really just want to check the box. Like they have the cool car, but it never gets mud on it. Like, you know, or the truck, right? They say they go hunting, but really they go out and drink beer with their buddies. You know, that might be the person you're attracting. And so they really just need a really sweet dog that's going to do well with their kids and look the part. And so, you know, depending on what you're going for and who your ideal customer is, you're going to, um, what you, the, the picture you put and, and the money that goes with it is part of that. Um, I think one of the interesting things was when I first started breeding, I priced my puppies very low. They were at like $500. I had no idea like marketing and I didn't know where to look to even base it, but I was like, okay, that sounds good. Sounds good. And I found that the people I was attracting at the $500 price range, they were just so good. They were good people. They were young kids. Like they usually wanted to, um, they want to get out. They want to do stuff. And they were the people that would otherwise have gone to the shelter and bought a dog, but they didn't because they knew they needed it to have some skills. Like it needed to be a hunting dog. Okay, cool. So they had zero expectations at that price point from me. Like they didn't even know I would ever be available to take a phone call from them again. Like that's the kind of expectations they had. It was nothing, you know, fast forward, you move into a little bit higher price point, which for my breed happened to be like around the thousand twelve hundred dollars range. Um, those people came to the table educated, like they'd looked at multiple breeders and they had questions. And I was like, cool. I like this, <laughs> you know, and, but they were willing to put the work in. They were the kind of people that would call me on the way to the vet and said, Hey, we're going to the vet. What do you think about this? And I love that because they gave me such good feedback and it was educated feedback. They weren't willy nilly. They didn't want to blame me for everything. Like we were partners in this relationship, trying to figure out the best way to take care of this dog. And then something funny happens the market changed a little bit. I was like, Hey, I'm getting a lot of people calling me for dogs, bump my price up. And all of a sudden I move into this higher price point, which isn't a whole bunch for German shorters at like $1,500. But once I got to about $1,500, people stopped doing any research. It was the strangest thing. They were like, I want the pretty dog. I'll pay for it. And I don't care. You tell me what I need. And all of a sudden it was a, they wanted me to do everything. And it, it really changes the dynamic. And they're the kind of people that like, they don't always want to sit and listen. When you get to the higher price point, they think just because they paid more money, they should be taken care of. And I suppose this applies, you know, in, in photography, for example. So say you're running a photography business for pets. 
If they just say, I need to check the box and I need the most affordable package for this puppy. Okay. Then, you know, you want to sell them on more shots. You want to sell them on quick and efficient. You're going to give them a list of things to bring and you're going to call it good. And it's going to be a good deal. You're going to talk about the value, right? And then if you want to get to that luxury high-end photography with pets, right? You're going to have this moment where you're like, I have all the stuff. I've got pretty collars. I've got little outfits. I've got different scenes. I've got it all set up. You just come here with a dog. We'll even do the grooming, right? And so you can you can see where people are like, if they want to spend that kind of money, you'll get to that level and it becomes the luxury package. But I just caution you, especially, especially with breeders and live animals, but anybody starting a new business, if you price things lower, those people will have less expectations for you, which is okay in the beginning because those people, anything that you do that's above and beyond what they expected will wow them. And they're going to be great people for testimonials. They're going to be great people to give you honest feedback. And they're going to be blown away by the service you provide. And I love that because it's such a great way to get your feet wet in any business. And then eventually you can move up. And as you get better, then, you know, I don't think I've been asked a question I didn't have an answer to in about three years with dogs. And so, yes, now I can handle those people. Yeah. (laughs) But I could not have when I first started. Well, I, I think it, it's just, it's, it's just fascinating. Like the whole psychology of, yes. of pricing, I'm sure there's like a thousand books you could read about it. Oh, yes. uh, yeah. But, but I, I think it sounds like that sweet spot's kind of in the middle, at least that would be in my perception mm-hmm. um, of like these informed people who care, who appreciate all that you put into it, the quality, all the tests you. you have to do, all the vet appointments you have to go to all the things. Right. <laughs> um, Cause you know, I think a lot of people don't know what goes into breeding. Um, but then you do get like the rich people who just expect everything to be done for them. Like is, will the dog show up trained perfectly? Will it already know how to do everything? Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's very, very interesting. And I, you know, I do think in essence, when people buy a dog, just like when they buy a vehicle, they are buying a lifestyle. And I think it's very important to understand that as breeders or anyone working in in the industry that we're not just selling things or products or dogs, we're selling a lifestyle and you have to give them the experience that they want for that lifestyle. And so that's a really key. I I found that when you're working with your customers, give them the experience they want in this process, in this process. Next up, the second most downloaded interview of all time is with Hana Kim of My Canine Life. I talked to her way back on episode 69. And although this is from four years ago and Instagram has changed a lot since then, for example, when we talked, there was no such thing as reels, I still feel like Hana's advice rings true. She recommends that you find out what the thing is that makes you uniquely you and you lean into that. I started just bringing a toy with me. It was like a ball. It was like, you know, just random things. And I would just be like, oh, hold this, show it to them. Don't jump up on them. And then I kind of was like, oh, you know what? I should bring around the same thing. And he really liked this one stuffed animal I had from Ikea that he wasn't allowed to get. He knows he's not allowed to get the stuffed animals on like the couch or the bed. And he always went for this one. Like he just assumed it was a toy. So I was like, you know, eventually I was like, okay, it's yours. Do what you want to it. Um, And so I started taking that around 
with me and he just loved showing it off. And so it kind of became a thing. And I was like, you know, how cute would it be to document the places I go with gumbo and shrimp is what we call him because it kind of goes together. And Mm -hmm. so then that started, that went viral. There was a picture at Cannon Beach and that went viral. And um, that's what kind of blew up our account. So I know people like that content. So I, I try to every now and then put that into my feed because I don't want to blow it up and ignore my other dogs that people follow me for. I mean, some people like Aslan, some people like Maple. And so I try to kind of be, I have three dogs, so I have a little bit of like leeway about what my feed can look like. Whereas if someone just had one dog, it would look very you know, one, one dog. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so I try to mix it up. I try to put some of maple, some of gumbo, some group photos, some not group photos. Um, as for kind of the trick training, um, I, I've noticed people like photos that are more like posed. I want to say with dogs, um, my dogs will sit and stay. I think the very, some people just want to take candid photos of their dogs, which like totally fine. If that's your thing, if your dog won't sit and stay to save a life, like candid photos. It is. That's totally fine. My dogs will sit and stay for like food for a pet for anything. So they, they know at this point when a camera comes out, they need to sit and stay as for tricks, um, holding things, hugging anything. That's like cutesy people eat that stuff up on Instagram. So if you want to teach your dog a couple tricks, like how to beg, how to hold things, how to hug or anything like super cute, like that, is kind of brownie points too, because people really like that stuff. And it's one of those where it's like unique, like, oh, that dog knows tricks. It's not just sitting there in front of something and adds um, movement to the photo and things like that. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. And I've been working on teaching Lucy how to hold something in her mouth, but it is so hard. Like she just, it takes like a lot of repetition. The one trick that we are really good at is kiss. Um, so I think because I on my account, it's a lot of pictures of me with the dogs. Um, and so instead of us just like, posing there smiling and staring out into the distance. Um, I think it's like so cute and fun. And it gets a lot of likes when your dog gives you a big old sloppy lick on your cheek. So um, that's kind of like, I would say our signature signature trick is the kiss. <laughs> Yeah. And that's, that's what makes you unique, you know, like, and that's what I was talking about is like finding that one thing that like you and your dog or your dog does really well and using that and being like, oh yeah, like that's the account that has, you know, the chocolate lab that kisses the human in the photos, like something that makes it. So when people like describe you by word of mouth, it's not just like, oh, that account with the golden. And you're like, okay, that's like 15,000 accounts on Instagram. Like, I don't know which one that is. So having something that really draws people in, I think. Yeah, I love that. So whoever, if you're listening to this and you um, are looking to grow your Instagram account, think about like what your, like your stick is, you know, even if it's like a color or something that's like your thing that people are going to recognize. Hey, dog walkers and pet sitters. Are you frustrated or stressed about the day-to-day admin of running your business? Well, check out Pet Pocketbook. Their simple, intuitive, all-in-one software was designed mobile first, making it easy to run your business even when you're on the go. Save time with automated billing that takes minutes, not hours or days, and get paid without losing money to credit card processing fees. You're going to love their easy, professional pet parent portal for your clients 
to manage their pets' profiles, request appointments, pay their bills, and communicate with you all in one place. My favorite thing about Pet Pocketbook is the clean and simple interface that makes scheduling a breeze, whether you focus on one-on-ones or pack services. I honestly could not believe that it is just $25 a month, no matter how many clients or staff you add to your account. Get started with a 60-day free trial, and a member of their pack will personally walk you through setting up your account. With Pet Pocketbook, it's not just software, but a team of real, actual humans invested in you and your success. Head over to PetPocketbook.com to get started and make sure you tell them that Bert and Lucy sent you. Now we're diving into one of my personal favorite interviews of all time. I know I told you I wasn't going to pick favorites, but this is one of my favorites. When I talked to Melissa Michener of The Bark Shop on episode 127, I was struck by her enthusiasm and energy. It seriously is contagious. I recommend listening to this whole interview, but for today, I chose a clip with Melissa talking about how she opened her grooming business in Harlem and what it was like for the first few years. So, so when you start, when you first opened the bark shop, you know, you opened in 90 days, you're like so excited and so passionate. What was your business like when you first started? Like, can you describe like if someone were to walk in the door, like what was it like being there? So when I first started, I had this whole idea of a luxury pet care facility. Um, Harlem is a very mixed demographic. So, you know, we have, I can go one block west and I have people that are thriving and, you know, very successful. And I could go one block east and I have people that are on a very fixed set income. So I had this whole luxury concept and, you know, we were going to be really high end. I had chandeliers and like this beautiful pink velvet couch and things like that. Um, I didn't have an awning. Uh, there was nothing that said like it was called Poor Prince of Harlem at the time. It was nothing that said Poor Prince of Harlem. So I would go out and I would go to Central Park with five blocks from Central Park. I would walk to Central Park in the morning and hand out my flyers and I would walk through the projects and hand out my flyers. And I would tell people like, hey, you know, we're. We're right down the block, you know, try us out. And people would say, that's not for us. And I'm like, no, I created this. Like, I created this so you don't have to leave your neighborhood. And then I remember I had um, three of my first clients. One of the gentlemen's names was Mark Harris. He had two Shih Tzus, Socks and Kobe. And he, I gave him the flyer. I was super enthusiastic. And he was like, you know, if you ace this, we could get you all the dogs. And I was like, okay, you know, I'm down. I was like, I had one groomer at the time. We were open five days a week. And I said, I have the best groomers. Like, you can trust me. And he came in. He actually did. And he advocated for us. And from then, the dog run, like, the news at the dog run, and I would say for the first five years of business, I didn't have an awning. So, you know, you just knew to get to the corner of 115th Street. Melissa would take care of you. She would have someone because I wasn't doing the grooming either. I was growing the business. I was out there guerrilla marketing. People were like, what's guerrilla marketing? That's literally when you have flyers and you're running down on people like, hey, I want to tell you about my company, you know? And that was what I was doing for the first, I would say, 90 days. I had uh, made sure that I paid my rent for at least 90 days. So I didn't have to think about, you know, how we were going to make the rent. I could just focus on 
growing the business, meeting people, talking to people. I'm a people person. I love people. So, and I'm super chatty. So I was just like walking up to random people, Starbucks, you know, people will leave their dog outside. I would be standing right by their dog like, hey. <laughs> and I was like, creepy girl at the time. <laughs> like, hi, I just want to tell you about, you know, poor Prince of Harlem. And that the word just spread from there. And I think the customer service, like for me, the clients are the centerpiece of our business. And we really focus on that. I always say like, don't be afraid to go above and beyond because there's never any traffic. So that's something that I really pride us in. It's like we go above and beyond and we have fun too. So, yeah, I, I just love that. And I can see the excitement in your voice. And I love that you can remember like that first customer who like really advocated for you. It's, I can tell that like how important your customers are to you. That, like you remember his name and the whole story and everything. Um, and you mentioned that like when you were kind of walking around like certain areas of your neighborhood and the projects that you got kind of a mixed reaction. Like some people didn't think this was a great idea uh, and, you know, were worried that it was, uh, you know, maybe a start of gentrification in the neighborhood. So why did you think it was important for you to still base your business in Harlem, despite some of that criticism? So interestingly enough, I think it was like my third year anniversary. It was like a little running joke with my landlords and kind of the tenants in the building. They were like, we didn't think you were going to make it. And I was like, what? And they were like, yeah, there have been like 10 other businesses there. So I'm actually the longest business that's been in that space. And I actually opened the bark shop because when I lived in the South Bronx and when I moved to Harlem, I never did anything in my community. I always went to the Upper East Side and the Upper West Side because I thought that that's where I would get the best service. You know, I didn't have to deal with attitudes, you know, things like that. So when I opened, I noticed that the neighborhood was changing. And immediately I thought, how great would it be for me to serve people that look like me, right? But also be an example and become a pillar in the community to let people know like, hey, there's this young girl, you know, I grew up in the project, so I can completely relate. I didn't have a million dollars. No one in my family said, here, just try this idea out. I literally emptied my savings and said, let's do it. So I really wanted to connect with everyone. And I always say, you know, I don't care if you spend $1 or a million dollars. I want you to feel good. Even if you don't spend anything, right? Even if you don't have a dog or a cat and you just say, Hey, I know a place because that happens all the time. You know, I have a lot of people in the neighborhood. They know me. A lot of my friends uh, say, Oh, I'm the mayor. Like they make a joke about it because I talk to everybody. Um, and that's been, I think that's so important. The community is so important in my business. And I know that because I never had an awning for five years. There was nothing that had the business name. You know, we had some photos of dogs at the top and we had like a sticker in the window, but it was all word of mouth. We had such organic growth and we built that, but it was important for me to connect with people. And yes, gentrification, some people say, oh, it's not a good thing or it was scary, but I wanted to kind of create that community through the dogs. And I think that it doesn't matter if you're black, white, Indian, Asian, red, purple, the love of the dogs, the passion of the cats and the, you know, what we do, we doing this. I do this because I love it. And every day that I open my doors, I want you to feel that love. So I think that it was just perfect timing. People thought I was completely crazy. They were like, what are you talking about? There's no dogs here. You know, and for a long time, we started seeing like Shih Tzu, Pomeranian Yorkie, Shih Tzu, Pomeranian Yorkie. We weren't seeing diverse, you know, breeds. And then I remember we started getting calls like, 
I remember the Bouvier, Lucy. There's a, a, a first client, Lucy, our first Bouvier. And I'm on Google, right? Like, oh. I said, can you hold for one second? I'm like, can I please you hold for one second? And I'm like, hey, John, do you know how to groom a Bouvier? And he's like, yeah, I could do it. And then I was like, yeah, we can take you, you know? So <laughs> it was such a great learning experience. Um, I would say opening the bar shop has one of, been one of the best experiences of my lifetime. It's taught me so much as an entrepreneur. It's taught me so much as a person, as a human being. And I think even with the climate today, I'm so restored, my faith in humanity, you know, and the diversity of our clientele and the outpouring love. And, you know, we're going through a traumatic experience right now, you know, with the pandemic, you know, I'm a black woman, Black Lives Matter movement. There's so many things going on. I live in right by a hospital. I hear ambulances. Like at one point in New York, it was every seven minutes, every five minutes, you know, so I think. Through pet care, my faith has been restored in humanity, and I feel like I just have an even bigger purpose and mission. Next, I have a clip from episode 48 with Ann Carlson of Jiminy's. This is the earliest episode picked for this recap. It was really fun to go back and listen to how much the show has changed in the past five years. Thank you so much to Jessica Bay from Templates for Pet Bros for nominating this episode. I chose this clip that you're about to hear from Anne because she's talking about making a positive impact on the world and addressing big issues like world hunger by making dog treats with crickets. It really pays off to do things differently than the big corporate companies. Since talking with Anne four years ago, her brand Jiminy's has expanded to offer treats and pet food using insect protein. Check out this clip. I knew I wanted to do something that was really meaningful. So I was looking at how how can I, as this you know single person in Berkeley, California, make a difference. And so I was looking at things like basically world problems. There's hunger, there's poverty, there's climate change, uh, there's water, clean water, all these different things. And, um, you know, I, I've worked in consumer packaged goods. So I'm like, well, if I create a product that can actually, um, be different and be a choice, uh, that would be a good choice that could help potentially with climate change, um, could help with food security, that would be something I'd want to do. And as I was sort of having all of these um, thoughts, (laughs) I got approached by a group who was trying to create a a new treat that was going to be a grass-fed, grass-finished beef product. And I was like, "Mm, I love this idea that you want to do a sustainable dog treat. But I don't love the idea of using cow because, you know, cow just isn't a sustainable animal. Mm -hmm. So um, I worked with them and kind of came up with other ideas. And uh, through that, stumbled across this idea that uh, insects could be the the protein source of the future. There was a UN study uh, that was done that really focused in on this and said it could be the end of world hunger. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I was really excited when I saw it. Um, however, I was also a little skeptical. I was like, well, would the dogs actually like it? <laughs> so I actually, the the first thing I did is I ordered some freeze dried crickets and they were for human consumption and I got them, I took them out in the back porch and I was like, okay guys, let's try them. And the dogs, 
they started drooling and they were just like, they were so into it. So I was like, okay, I think this can work. And then I, I figured, okay, I got to try it myself. So I closed my eyes because they actually <laughs> look like crickets. <laughs> I closed my eyes, I popped it in my mouth and I'm like, oh, okay, it tastes kind of nutty. It was like um, a, a, a sunflower seed. It's probably the closest thing I could come up with. Huh. I was like, this will work. This is this will be really easy to combine with other things and make it taste good. So where do you go uh, on the internet to order crickets? <laughs> How did you figure <laughs> this out? <laughs> well, <laughs> that, that was actually, um, you know, just a Google search on my part. But then it was also, how am I going to get enough crickets to actually make treats? And it turns out that there's a whole industry that's starting up of people who are farming crickets. And the fantastic thing is it takes almost no space. Well, and this sure, is why tiny. it's sustainable. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> so um, it takes exponentially less land, less water. Um, they emit almost no greenhouse gases. So there, this is just a fantastic um alternative to other protein sources. And the other thing is, it's really humane. The, right. the crickets actually get to live almost all of their natural life before they're harvested. Wow. And um, are, where in the world are the crickets raised? Well, I decided that, um, well, they're raised all over, but I decided for Jiminy's that we would source only in North America. Mm -hmm. So um, right now, the majority of ours are coming from Canada. However, we're working with a couple of farms in the U.S. as well as they're starting to um, to scale up their operations. Do you know roughly how many crickets go into one bag of treats? <laughs> I do. <laughs> I actually did that calculation. There are about 525 uh, crickets in one of our bags of biscuits. And actually, one biscuit has about five crickets in it. Oh, my gosh. That's yeah. amazing. That's way more than I thought you were going to say. Well, they get ground up into a powder that we're working with. So it's it's actually becomes like a cricket meal. Mm -hmm. And the cool thing is, is that you use the entire cricket. So um, there's like hardly there's, any waste. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, there's almost no waste. And the other thing about it is that it makes it this incredible superfood because it's not just protein. It's actually has fiber as well because the exoskeleton is getting ground up as well. And that provides this great fiber, mm -hmm. which um, we've been doing some work and it looks like there's a gut benefit to it as well. Yeah. So, so digestibility is fantastic. Finally, I couldn't recap five years of the Wear Wag Repeat podcast without sharing Marika Meeks with you. I loved listening back to this interview on episode 95. Marika is such an inspiration for her entrepreneurial spirit and her deep love for rescue dogs. We got to be together in person at the final Blog Pause conference in Kansas City. I remember Marika gave me a bracelet that she had embossed with Lucy's name. We were speaking on a panel together and she actually made a bracelet like that for everyone on the panel. She had the biggest heart, and it was such a joy to listen back and hear her voice. Unfortunately, six months after this interview, Marika lost her battle with cancer in June of 2020. In this clip that I chose for you today, she talks about timing and why you should never give up on your ideas. 
As you look back on what worked and what didn't over the past few years, I urge you to take Marika's advice and consider giving some of those ideas a second chance. Remember, it wasn't a no, it was just a not yet. And it's it's interesting in life because I always tell myself that when I'm trying for like a new project or a new uh, concept or something that that when I put it out there, I have to remember the answers rarely no. The, the answer is usually not yet. You're not ready. It's not time. And it's like, if I can switch over to the universe's timing instead of my timing, it's amazing how many of those things I pitched in the past or I thought was a, a good idea in the past. It seemed to go nowhere that now all of a sudden I have this content that's already ready and, 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 and ready to go, but my brand is in a different place. And now that kind of opens doors. And you mentioned what we're doing with Papa John's. Um, we, um, approached Papa John's about, um, putting, flyers for homeless dogs on the top of each pizza box um, because we have a massive overpopulation issue here in Arizona. And so we are being distributed at about uh, 42 locations um, in the Phoenix Valley, which is really, really cool. But what's really neat about that is this this program has just launched. Um, and two years ago, a concept that I loved that I put together, I pitched, I put a lot of time. It had a great reception on social media was that, um, for a national pizza chain to offer a, what I refer to as a doggy pizza, which is really just a, a little pe- a doggy treat in a little pizza box. So when you place an order and your pizza comes and your dog's like, ah, oh, I want some of that. You actually have a little something to give your dog. It's a healthy treat. It's a little add-on. People can add to their order. And then uh, my goal would be to get the proceeds of those sales to benefit an an animal profit or animal nonprofit. And um, so... Now we've done the the Papa John's thing. This morning I get an email um, that they've picked up the new story in uh, in St. Louis, Missouri. And so now we're on Papa John's radar. Even though we did this two years ago, now I'm, I'm ready and I've already sent the email this morning. You know, here's a concept I'd like to run by you. So it's like... You're not in tr- you're not in charge of the timing, and when you force your own agenda, like trying to pound a, a you know a square peg into a round hole, you're going to be nothing but stressed out and frustrated. Instead, it's sort of letting the universe flow and letting yourself develop and evolve the way you're supposed to, which isn't overnight. Yeah, I, that you're you got my wheels turning already because I'm just thinking, you know, so many people, myself included try to launch something and push so hard. Um, and it just like, doesn't, it's just like not working. It's like, there's so much friction. Uh, and maybe you just have to like retry it again in a year or something like that. It's probably not a bad idea. It could just be like, not meant to be at this very moment. Well, you think about like all of the concepts that came out, um, you know, before the dot com crash, you know, there were so many new tech startups that had like freaking fantastic ideas. They were brilliant. But just because the idea is great, it doesn't mean necessarily it's the right time in history or, or, you know, other technology things have to ca- catch up in order to really make it be something that is saleable. And there's a lot of those companies that initially went out of business, but the same concept was picked up by a different company that wasn't bankrupt and ran with it five or 10 years later where the technology and the, the consumer like uh, usage of that would be more appropriate. 
Some of the best conversations happen after the episode. Send me a note on Instagram at wearwagrepeat or find even more women petpreneurs to connect with in our private Facebook group called Wear Wag Repeat Labs. If you want to dig into more episodes, resources to grow your business, or find a link to something we discussed, it is all right there for you at wearwagrepeat.com. I'll see you back here next Wednesday for a fresh conversation.